It has been over five years since I sat down with ayahuasca, and man, did she have a lot to teach me this time around. I felt like I was breaking the biggest psychic fever you could ever imagine. And in this podcast, I sit down with none other than Jungian scholar Eric Godsey to break it all down. This week's show is brought to you by Onnit, onnit.com slash Aubrey, by The Cold Plunge, thecoldplunge.com, and by the Fit for Service Academy, aubreymarcus.com slash FFS Academy. My ayahuasca journey started off right in the deep end. The first visions I had were some of the most intense that I had all week. And with that, I got the opportunity to explore how to deal with that kind of darkness, that darkness that you find within and that darkness that you find without. Truly, I felt like there was not a sickness or a darkness or a shadow that's found in the world, in the human collective that I couldn't find in myself. And the ayahuasca spotlight was sure to shine its light of awareness on every nook and cranny. I'm really excited to share this podcast with you guys. As I said, it's been over five years since I got to give you a full ayahuasca report, and this is one of the richest psychedelic journeys of my whole life. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. Our first sponsor today is Onnit, and this week we are talking about the Immune Support Collection. Now, we are still in winter in much of the world, and there's immune challenges year-round either way, and there's a bunch of amazing products offered by Onnit that are going to just help support you year-round. Some of those include Shroom Tech Immune. This has all of the best nutritional mushrooms that have been shown to help support the immune system. Virotech, which contains a combination of zinc and lysine and vitamin C, alpha-lipoic acid, all kinds of different vitamins and nutrients to help you out. Total Hemp, our CBD product, which is going to help with your overall relaxation and total function through the endocannabinoid system. Vitamin D spray with K2 and MCT oil. Vitamin D is absolutely crucial, especially when you're not getting a whole bunch of sun. The human organism was designed to get a bunch of sun, and vitamin D is like one of those universal levers. And then, of course, key minerals, all of those base minerals like calcium, magnesium, molybdenum, all of these things that the body is in constant need for to just operate at the highest level. And spirulina chlorella, our capsulized green product. All of these have a host of great benefits for the body. You can learn a bunch more. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey and check out the Immune Support Collection. And as always, save 10% off. So onnit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off the Immune Collection. And the next sponsor is The Cold Plunge. Now you might've seen it on my Instagram, but I got upgraded to a badass new cold plunge system. Ozone and UV filtered, a constant circulating temperature as cold as you possibly want. Now, right now, it is freezing ass cold here in Austin, so the whole world is a cold plunge, especially my pool, but it's going to warm up soon, and I'm really grateful to have this amazing cold plunge, which not only works as well or better than any cold plunge I've ever seen, but it's also sexier. It looks like a modern tub. And it's dope. These guys do an amazing job. They came up and set it up for me. And I just really love everything they're about. And I love everything about this cold plunge. It's such an important practice to help you drop back into your body, clear your mind, help you move through some stress and inflammation, and also train that mental toughness, train that mental override, that part of you that doesn't want to get in the cold plunge, but does it anyway. 
So if you're into a cold plunge practice, make sure to check this out. Go to thecoldplunge.com slash pages slash amp, and you'll get $111 off. And these cold plunges are a lot cheaper than many of the professional cold plunges out there. So you're already going to be getting a good deal, and now you get an even better deal. thecoldplunge.com slash pages slash amp. And our last sponsor of the day is the Fit for Service Academy, our new community app available in the App Store. Now, I've talked to you guys about the importance of community and all of the different practices that we put in the app, the master classes, the guided breath works, the guided meditations, the guided ecstatic dances, the sound healings, everything loaded up in a social media surrogate where you have a bunch of people who are just going to receive what you say. You can share whatever you're going through, share what you're working on, and find people to take the journey with you. But what I want to talk to you guys today about is that we are starting a new feature where all live podcasts are going to be live streamed on the app. So anytime I'm with a person in studio or in someone's house, I'm going to set up the app for a live stream, and you're going to get a live look at the podcast long before they release. And also as an added bonus, I'm going to be putting a prompt to ask for questions in the app. And so we'll have an exclusive question answered by the guest just for the Fit for Service Academy community. So check it out. Go to aubreymarcus.com slash FFS Academy or go to your app store and download the Fit for Service Academy. aubreymarcus.com slash FFS Academy or go to the app store Fit for Service Academy. And now, an uninterrupted conversation with Eric Godsey. The ayahuasca trip report. In some ways, I feel like this is kind of where podcasting really began for me, you know, because it was that first podcast I did with Rogan. I think it was JRE 127, something like that. It is. Yeah. And I'd done a couple other podcasts with him, but that was the one that, like, I felt like something happened in that, you know, where I just was fresh off my first cycle of three sits of ayahuasca with Maestro Orlando Chuandama, and I came back fresh, and I was just totally blown away. I mean, I'd been doing psychedelics for over 10 years at that point, almost 12 years at that point. I was about 30 when that happened. and uh, But this was something else. It was something completely different, and not a lot of people were talking about it then. So here we are, like almost 10 years later, and uh, it's another... <laughs> It's another dive into the water. I, I've drank ayahuasca. Um, I drank ayahuasca 14 times total, you know, 14 sits and several broken into several different cycles. Um, but the last time I did it was five years ago. And I was really actually blown away by how much I'd forgotten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like totally. Yeah. I had completely forgotten because what i had in my mind subtly reduced it to was the visionary state you know like what did i see you know what were the visions like and it occurred to me it really struck me that it's not necessarily about the visions like the visions are a tool to get you the lessons that you need and i kind of knew this but i'd forgotten you know because the stories are all about oh what'd you see (laughs) yeah you know but that wasn't it at all man yeah and What's so just perfect is the first podcast I ever heard was that podcast. <laughs> I didn't know who you were. I didn't know who Joe Rogan was. And that was the podcast that started my entire journey that brought me here. I think for a lot of people, that was a big podcast. I mean, of any podcast I've done, that's the one that 
most people have pointed to yeah. who've been like, well, that podcast was was a shift. And I think it was partly the stories that I told, but it was partly just the effect that it had on me, yeah. that being so fresh and me just coming in just completely like lit up from this experience and just on a different wavelength than I'm than I was used to. Yeah. And uh but here we are back again. This time was a bit, you know, very much different of course, <laughs> based on my experience, based on everything I'd done and also based on the style that yeah. um that the ayahuasca has served at Soltara. First of all, I have to say Soltara runs an incredible, you know, virtually impeccable operation. Yeah. Like they really do an amazing job. And the healers they bring in are Shipibo healers, traditional Shipibo healers. And it's my first opportunity to sit with traditional Shipibo healers. All the healers that I've been with before have all been in the Mestizo tradition, which is a little bit different. And I think it's worth like noting what the difference is. Maybe I should back up, you know, one quick second. For those of you who don't know what ayahuasca is, it's a combination of what I have in my hand right here, which is a twisting vine that contains an MAOI inhibitor or some chemical derivation thereof, which actually allows DMT to become orally active. And what supplies the DMT is typically a series of leaves. The chacruna leaf is the primary leaf, and that's actually the only leaf they use in the brew that they serve at Soltara. Oftentimes, they'll add other leaves that contain DMT, like opayaje and wambisa, and sometimes some admixture plants. But the core of it is the vine in combination with the leaves, leaves supplying the DMT, the vine making it orally active and sending you on a four to 10 hour ride yeah. <laughs> with this medicine that has just this seemingly incredible intelligence to show you absolutely the things that are unseen and absolutely what you need to both heal and also open your mind to what you need to see <laughs> yeah uh one of the things that i feel uh deeply with ayahuasca so i've, I've only done it now in the shipibo tradition at sultara healing center but it seems like the intelligence of the plant dances with the intelligence of your personal psyche mm -hmm. to produce exactly what you need also through the mediums that you will best understand it like i know someone who's a somatic body healer and a lot of their messages are somatic yep for me because i'm obsessed with dreams most of mine are visions with symbolic dream like imagery then for people i know who are deeply attached or uh, you know that the way that they experience the world is emotional it tends to be emotions mm -hmm. and there's this beautiful like dance between the intelligence of this plant and your psyche yep and you know <laughs> for me it became really clear that what i needed was healing yeah and i wasn't actually going in i was going in like i want to see some really cool shit i want to like <laughs> i want to talk to all the animals yeah. and like i've had experiences where i've talked to so many beings and there's there are those experiences and i'll We'll cover all of that, but yeah. really fundamentally the through line was healing a deep sickness. And it was the sickness of all of the world. Every bit of conditioning, every bit of toxicity that I've generated from my own mind, that I've adopted from societal norms that I've taken on from the world. It really reminded me of that story that we've told a couple times about the Rainmaker. Mm. And you know, why don't you tell the story of the Rainmaker and I'll explain <laughs> yeah. where I am in the journey 
you know, so yeah. so that it makes sense. Yeah, so this is for sure my favorite story. And um, it was a story that someone told to Carl Jung um, in the last quarter of his life, and he became obsessed with it, and he would tell it before most of his lectures. And it goes like this. <clears throat> Jung's friend, who was like an anthropologist, goes to China, ends up in a village. The village is going through a drought. And the Westerner goes up to the elders, and it's like, how are you going to fix this? You know, bringing the Western mentality. Are you going to build new wells? Are you going to ship in water? You know, like, what are you going to do? the elders looked at the Westerner just kind of like how a lot of indigenous wise people <clears throat> look at elders or look at Westerners. And it's just kind of confused and like, oh, you don't get it. We're calling the Rainmaker. The Rainmaker's coming. And later that day, an old man comes to the village. The Westerner watches the elders excitedly go up to this old man. They guide him to a hut at the, at the edge of the village. The old man goes in. No one goes in or comes out for three days. And at the end of the third day, it rains all night. The Westerner trudges through mud and sprouting plants to get to the front <laughs> of that hut first thing in the morning. And the old man comes out and the Westerner says, what did you do? How did you do this? And the old man says, I came from a land that was in order. Because the land was in order, it did what it needed to do when it needed to do it. And so there's never a drought. I came here and the land was out of order and it infected me. And so I had to put myself into order. And once I came into order, the land came into order. Once the land came into order, it did what it had to do. And so it rained. The deep wisdom of something that, you know, Hermes Trismegistus, the, you know, mystic philosopher was talking about as within, so without, mm -hmm. you know, so that's the wisdom of the rainmaker is that everything is connected we're all a microcosm of the macro and so if we can truly truly heal ourselves we can truly heal the outer world the collective yeah. and so where what i realized was that i'd done an excellent job becoming completely infected with the disorder <laughs> of the world particularly over this last year i mean yeah. it's been the absolute most chaotic year i've ever known in my in the entirety of my life Same. And so I think partly because of that and partly because of my own tendencies to, you know, and susceptibilities to it, partly because of my own innate nature, I think I'm a type of being that is actually designed to absorb all of the sickness and all of the maladies and all of the darkness and everything so that I can figure out how to fix it, either to potentially fix that and in doing so help fix the collective, right. also in fixing it. Talk about it. Talk about the podcast. You know, go on podcasts, write books, talk about the ways in which and the strategies in which I was able to kind of bring myself into order so other people can as well. But I realized I was like, wow, I've really crushed it on part A. Part A <laughs> is getting thoroughly, 100%. completely infected with everything because yeah. I could feel it. There was literally nothing that I saw out in the collective, any greed, any jealousy any anger any posturing any need for validation anything i was like oh it's it's all here it's all yeah. in here anything that anything that i've been upset about in the collective it's all in me too yep and that was like this really fundamental awakening and i could kind of feel it coming up and i think that's one of the things about ayahuasca the moment you commit mm. to it it starts to starts to work mm -hmm. you know your psyche knows and potentially also because of what had you know experiences with ayahuasca and we've developed that relationship over the years i was skidding into that i was skidding into the <laughs> ceremony like damn and what is what does that look like though it just looks like 
I was anxious and antsy and depressive and disconnected and everything was like bubbling up until we got to that first ceremony and I was like, man, I, I fucking need this. You know, before, like a couple of weeks earlier, I was like, yeah, it's going to be cool. And then by like, by the time I was on the eve, I was like, I'm fucking desperate. Yeah. Like I really, really, really need this. And, uh, and you know, she was there. She was, she was there. One of the things that comes up when I hear that is uh, there's a really interesting vein of research that looks at um, what happens to domesticated uh, animals that are meant to be wild. And basically what they find is that when you take a creature that evolved to be wild in a certain environment and you put it in a zoo, they, bec- they acquire mental disorders. Like there's stories of... Um, depressed monkeys will isolate themselves from the tribe and will just go stare at a wall out in the uh, cage. Uh, elephants will grind their tusks all the way down on stones because they're anxious. Birds will rip out their own feathers. We have no examples of that happening with those animals when they're out in the environment that they're meant to be in. And our culture is sick. And to be in the sick culture, it infects us. Yeah. And, you know, orcas with their floppy fins yeah. and, you know, the, the lists go on and on. And we're not stuck in a zoo, but we are a zoo of our <laughs> own creation, our own mental prison that yeah. we're in. And, you know, we have to take responsibility for creating the walls of this. Yes, right. of course. These ideas are out there, these restrictions of freedom, these things that try and take our power away and say no 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 you're not a powerful being you you don't have the immune system for this you need to wait for a shot you can't handle this you you got to hide you got to isolate you got to do all of these things and for some of us maybe we're so sick that we do and so i'm not saying that that's not sound advice for certain parts of the population but know where you're at nonetheless nonetheless this has now become the universal where we're all kind of trying to manage us being in a sick state, a state right. where we're terrified of death, we're terrified of exposing the true, raw, vulnerable truth of who we are, of acknowledging mm-hmm. ourselves as divine beings. You know, we're, we're just locked in this place, so we become desperate for small hits of validation, little, little you know, refreshes on our Instagram or right. little things that other people are saying about us, and we get caught in this thing. You know, what Charles Eisenstein calls the myth of separation we're separated from source we're separated from the truth of who we are and we're separated from our brothers and sisters and partners and family because we're not ever showing who we are because we're afraid of the judgment that they're going to cast upon us which we've internalized as our own judgment and so we're locked in our own fucking zoo and our fins are getting floppy and we're grinding our tusks and we're reaching for orange rattling pill bottles to say save me save me and everybody's saying this will save you this will save you're like great bo but it's not fucking saving me what the hell am i going to do and this cycle just gets stronger and stronger and stronger until you say, stop, stop. Let me find who I am again. Yep. And that's really, ultimately, like if I'm going to encapsulate, this is a journey to find who you really are and how powerful you are as a sovereign being and how powerful we all are. Because there's no special here. You know, it's not like, I'm the chosen special one. Nah. I'm one of everyone who's all special, who's yes. all divine, who's always, always powerful. And that, that's another game of the world that's been inflicted. Oh, these are, this is the priest class. These are the Brahmins. These are the special ones. These are the 
no we're all rainmakers we're all no. mystics and shamans and warriors and kings and you know all of the things lovers we're all of the archetypes yeah and we're just told and we've believed that we're not and so it's really discovering rediscovering that and when we do that all of this other stuff kind of fades away it becomes like once you know who you are everything becomes way way easier and that uh-huh. was like a big part of the healing was puking and shitting <laughs> away all of the death of the denial of who i am and all of the rot of not living in my blistering truth pouring it into the toilet and into the buckets and then emerging closer now i'm not gonna say like right. i totally fucking <laughs> yeah. i fucking did it i did it it's raining is it raining yep. where you are no i did i but i made some i made a lot of progress the metaphor that most resonates with me is um you you look at humanity and we're a symphony but we're all different instruments but each of us have a rainmaker tuning function of the instrument that we are and a violin is not inherently more special than a cello but if both are fucking in tune and playing their thing it's beautiful and and that metaphor also lends itself to as long as you have a heartbeat and a breath the song is going so you're not done but can you be in this moment in tune your rainmaking? Yeah. But at every moment you can step out of that shit. And yeah. at every moment you can step back in. And there's so many stories that'll drag you out on oh, some yeah. meandering path into a dark woods that leads to nowhere. You Become know, a and, screeching broken one string. <laughs> yeah, violin. totally. You know, just just banging your drum into the abyss, you know, of delusion. Yeah. And that's uh, you know, I'll cover that. In, and when I go through and start reading through kind of my report of my experiences, but I had a really visceral encounter of what that delusion looks like and how easy it is for stories to weave this right. choking fog, this smoke that blinds and stings our eyes and makes it so that we can't see left from right, up from down, truth from falsity. And we're just caught in momentum, righteously so, thinking that we're going the right way, but we're just meandering on a story rather than you know following the light of truth. Amen. There's a place for stories, but story the map is not the territory. Right. Right. And it's just being mindful of when when it's it's all often always a story, <laughs> but it's being mindful of like what is the story and how close does the story track truth because we need these stories. Right. Stories help us, you know, create reality in many ways, but they can very easily get told in a in a way that's going to lead us to a dead end place. Does it bring you more into attunement with what you are or does it bring you away? Yeah, yeah. So going back to the difference between the Shipibo style and the Mestizo style. So in the Shipibo style, we had two great Shipibo healers. And the Shipibo is a particular tribe that has developed the many of the things that we know about ayahuasca. They've kind of held that close. It's only 30,000, 40,000 people in the world. And they have a deep several thousand year old tradition of you know cultivating the ayahuasca tea and developing their lineage and it's very kind of specific about how they do that now ayahuasca has been in many different countries and many different jungles and there's many other different styles even in peru you know which is where i've always done it the other style the main style is the mestizo style and so the big difference between the two is in the mestizo style there's one or sometimes two shamans but often one who is holding basically the center of the room and singing their ikaros and an ikaro is a song 
that's been taught to them by the plants and taught to them by the other shamans and the other maestros that have passed down those songs through their lineage. And these are healing songs. These are songs that are actually directly in resonance with the plants and designed for a purpose, designed to facilitate healing or sometimes to facilitate something else, sometimes to facilitate pure sorcery or whatever whatever yeah. the intention is. But when you're with a good healer, a curandero, then, or curandera, they're designed to heal in, in, different, in different ways. And they're also designed to move the energy of the plant. And in, unless you've experienced it, oh man, you don't really understand. <laughs> you don't really understand no. the power of the Ikaro. I remember the first night I drank for the first time and it was before they sung and it was just darkness, but I could feel like a psychedelic type of DMT thing moving through me. And the moment they started singing, it's like the, the three-dimensional sea of pixels all woke up and it felt like the air came alive mm -hmm. and the night came alive and the insects started singing like instant instantaneously with the first guttural utter of the ikaros mm -hmm. with the first whistle mm. it usually always <laughs> yeah, that's when you yes. know it's about to begin <laughs> yeah and you're like okay here we go here we go and then that first you know that first kind of thing comes out in the mestizo style you know same you drink and then it's silent and you wait and then they wait for the energy to build and they wait for the right time but they'll bring the whole group through a series of different ikaros so they're basically imagine them like a dj that's playing for the whole crowd playing for the whole dance floor and they're bringing in a crescendo their own playlist of ikaros that they're just they don't think about it beforehand it's just what right. are they feeling in the moment for the collective and so you hear many different types of ikaros and and they kind of lead you on a journey at the end they go around and provide what's called a bentiata which is a specific healing song for you which is often the same song for everybody in rare occasions like in this story that i told on the podcast with hamilton about maestro alberto when whitney had you know some some bad magic in her as, as they call it or the medicine you know got squirrely he sang a very intense different ikaro than everybody else to help really heal something specific um, but typically the bentiatas are usually similar unless you have a very specific issue and then they'll often offer you a soplato where they blow tobacco or my first shaman maestro orlando actually blew cinnamon at the top of your crown oh yeah that's right and um and then that kind of closes that kind of closes the ceremony that gives you a little bit of individuality and then they wait a little bit and then you know light the candle and exit the room and most of the time you're still in it to a certain <laughs> oh, degree <yeah. laughs> but um and that's the mestizo style and i was used to that and i still have a great love for that style the shipibo style is different and there's two healers maestro teo and maestro maestra marina and they actually go around and instead of singing to the collective they sing only individual ikaros well they sing a couple to the they sing a couple to the group at the start right so the, at the get the medicine moving they'll sing a couple together at the start and then they'll start moving around in the circle and singing individual ikaros similar to the bentiata but different individual ikaros to each person one-on-one -on -one just all about you tapping yep. into your field and yep. singing you the healing song <laughs> that you need and really like i know i if i was gonna 
make a categorical you know difference i would say that the shipibo style to me is really so specific for your healing yeah it's very targeted they're like you're like working with a with a surgeon exactly who's like looking right at you the whole time you know when they're with you and just delivering to you what you need yeah you know whereas the other one is kind of collectively you know getting everybody into the same kind of resonance and, and providing the healing now of course everybody's journeys are different um but it's just a different style both are fucking incredible yeah but this was the first time experiencing the shipibo and for me with the priority really clearly being on my healing it was exactly what i needed yeah exactly what i needed <laughs> so i went in um first of all on the morning in the morning there they have a, a lemongrass vomitivo which is a really good idea yeah because i think it helps get people over the fear of purging right which i think is really important because a lot of people get stuck in the, oh my god i don't want to purge everybody's going to hear me and what they what you do is you drink as much lemongrass as you possibly can and you just till you're absolutely bloated and then you purge and then everybody cheers you on right but lemongrass is not a emetic it doesn't like make you want to purge it's actually quite nice yeah. you know it's like it's kind of a delicious tea that not anymore <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is it because i was never nauseous it was just the pressure in my stomach right. i could have drank lemongrass the whole time and it yeah. like wouldn't have bothered me because it's the nausea right. that actually makes it whereas ayahuasca makes you nauseous so like i couldn't think of drinking ayahuasca without like <sighs> shuddering you know yeah. because it's the nausea that actually gives you that um but it's not easy because yeah. i think the body the body's like yeah cool lemongrass tea if you would just stop drinking so much you dumb animal like we're fine <laughs> with this like we don't need to puke you know this is not necessary why are you trying to do this but it's really good because it gets you like it gets you in the practice and i think right. it's also a test to see how much you can communicate with your body and say body we're gonna vomit now and the body's like no we're not we're like yeah we are and it's kind of developing that relationship right. where you're trying to like can the mind communicate effectively with the body and i think that's really what it's what it's testing and also getting you it's a really bonding experience for, for sure. the group so i think that was a really intelligent thing they've done i've never had that you know offered mm. in any other ceremony so we do that in the morning and then again yeah skidding in you know head first <laughs> diving chewing on the dust as i'm going towards first base of my healing and uh and oh. get in there and we start with one cup and um i knew that that probably wasn't going to be enough so as soon as the time was right to offer the second cup i was the first to you know flash my little red light and jump up and get the second cup and you know drank the second cup and then you know the experience began and it wasn't the flood experience that you know i kind of remember of just like visions you know because that's of course what remind you think you about in your mind that's yeah. what i remembered but it was you know it was more subtle and then the vision started to come much more subtle similar to what the darkness retreat was where i mm -hmm. always described it like the onset or the twilight of ayahuasca that was kind of where the visions took and in in the darkness of course like when i saw the laughing buddha and i saw these you know things would appear and uh yeah so it begun and uh and i'll go through and i'm gonna so i'm gonna go through and read little different snippets of this and then uh and then we'll talk about them i encountered an archon mechanistic bent on destruction defilement 
corruption in absolute. I encountered a shadow demon. Those were two different things. So this was the first vision I got. And I was like, oh, great. Straight to the demons. (laughs) Um, And if anybody listened to my last, you know, ayahuasca report, it was a massive, you know, a massive challenging experience with what I called the world crusher, which is this gigantic demon, maybe the capital D demon. And that was five years ago. And I told that on, you know, uh, Fighter and the Kid. I told it on Rogan. I think I told it on one of my podcasts too. That was the one where months before you had a really intense dream yes. where something came. Yeah, to that you and was. Said, I'm <laughs> going to kill you. Uh, yeah, that was a. So that was like six weeks before ayahuasca, when I didn't even know which day because it was only I was only drinking it once. I had a bone chilling dream, and I don't have a lot of dreams. You know, you're you're the dream expert, and I'm really excited when I have a dream because I can tell you about it. But I rarely have dreams that are worth remembering right. or kind of interesting but in this dream i was in absolute black and this demon a small demon comes to me you know appears to me looks at me and then stares me right in the eyes kind of like um in stranger things when they when she goes when 11 goes into that world where it's all black and like things appear and this demon just looks at me like oh here you are and he looks me right in the eye and says i'm going to kill you on july 27th and i was like yeah and I like woke up and of course, and then I checked my calendar right then. And it was like ayahuasca, July 27th. That would fuck me up, fam. It was fucking intense. <laughs> and, uh, and then of course I ended up meeting that demon and then yeah. that demon virtually, it felt like he did kill me, stole my heart gem. But anyways, that's a different story or <laughs> a different experience. <laughs> yeah. But this one wasn't nearly as scary or intense. You know, it was just like, I could just see them. They weren't particularly interacting. Now, the archons are from the Gnostic texts, and that's basically like these massive demon beings that are representing some different archetype of the shadow, some different archetype of destruction, some different archetype of evil to a certain degree. And I'm not incredibly familiar with the mythology, but I can tell that this was like a being of that nature. But what was really interesting about it was that it was completely mechanistic it was like a transformer like a decepticon but without any personality it Mm. was just like unreachable so in the in the conclusion of my previous journey with demons you know i ended up kissing the world crusher on the forehead and it changed the whole thing i provided it love so i kind of had a strategy but what was interesting about the mecha archon as i'm as i call it was it had no soul it had no life. There's so nothing like, to convert or ch- change. Exactly. It's like you can kiss your fucking Roomba vacuum and it's not going to change what it's, it's just going to suck dirt. Right. You know, like it doesn't right. matter how much love <laughs> right. you give your vacuum. It's like, yeah. it's going to just vacuum. And like the, that Mecha Archon was just going to destroy. It was a machine built on destroying. And I could sense that it, it kind of represented all of the machines that we've used to destroy all the bombs all the Mm. guns all the all the contraptions all the you know artifices of war and it that collectively created this energy of this destroyer but it was powered by the people right and the people had had soul and the people could be reached just like that other demon the beings could be reached because they Mm. were alive so i had no idea what to do with the mecha archon other than this idea that maybe there's nothing to do with that because it was the people and then pretty close then there was another demon that it was a being it was a living being that appeared in in my vision and 
that was uh, he had a just a completely blacked out face just it was all shadow and he was yeah. sitting in a chair and just kind of like quietly Whoa. emitting evil and you know i could not see his face sometimes i could see little red eyes like piercing piercing the black and he was like well dressed in like a mm. a suit of some sort goosebumps and so i was like man um i kind of knew what i needed to do with the shadow thing but it, it seemed like difficult to approach i was like i gotta give it love so i actually called on saint michael i had the the idea to call on saint michael for help and you know beautifully saint michael appeared and we had a dialogue and so i'll write this saint michael was with me he showed me that his sword was blunt because it was not meant to cut only to separate truth from delusion only to point the way to love he showed me that the only way to combat the energy of the archon and the demon was to love them and keep loving them and keep loving them love the fallen ones all the way back to god you know it was a a beautiful beautiful encounter with that you know angelic being and i think we oftentimes think of saint michael with his sword and we imagine him like a like a warrior cutting and stabbing and slicing and he's like no 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 this sword is blunt this sword is just to separate truth from delusion just to anoint with love like that's the purpose of of why i carry this sword and so again reinforcing reminding me that there is no way to combat darkness with violence violence isn't in of itself going to reinforce that power reminds me of the the fifth element mm. you know the fifth element where that giant blob of evil is coming and then you know the star fleet or whatever is like let's launch our nuclear phasers against it and then it just grows bigger right when they try to attack it right. it's just like the same energy of attack right. and destroy is its energy yeah. so it just reinforces it so the only way ultimately you know that the fifth element defeats it is with love yeah. and it's a true story that's one of the reasons why that movie is so good it's a right. fucking true story so with that knowledge i'll read my next piece when i loved the shadow demon so i went up and i and i offered the shadow demon love i saw his face hideous by the standards of the world and i saw that he was born as a baby hideous in the eyes of his parents his society so he chose the path of power instead of love the only path that seemed available for him to access the force that he craved love so when i came up to him with love the shadow was revealed from his face and he had all of these like i mean his face was completely distorted and bubbled and burned again it's like the story of the phantom of the opera right like so hideous to the world that he hides his face and develops his voice and craves that power but really all he wants is love but he doesn't feel that love is accessible to him so he chooses the surrogate of love power yeah because power has force love love is the most powerful force in the universe but if you can't get love well you can get power you can move people from fear instead of moving right. people from love so at least you have the surrogate the saccharin of the sugar of love you mm. know <sighs> so 
And as I saw him as a baby, like reduced to that, I could see the metaphor for how so many people who seek that path of power, they feel like they're unlovable. And so they're just trying to maximize maximize their ability to get love in any way they can, but they can't get love. So they're just like, all right, well, fuck it. Power it is. And what's like, what comes to mind is uh, um, there was an image that was, that got popular on the internet of Mitch McConnell a couple of months ago where he looked just so fucking sick. And to a lot of people, Mitch McConnell is the ultimate representation of that force of evil, of the evil force in the chair with the red eyes. And what's interesting is like when when I look at him, I see a, a man who has not tasted love, like real, like shoulder relaxing, jaw unclenching, surrendering love and people's response to whatever figure in the culture that we project you know the evilness onto what do we do we attack them we criticize them we send them hate like there's so many beautiful people i know who fucking hate a human they haven't met that represents what they don't like in office and on all sides and if this metaphor is a reflection of how energy is actually moving we are feeding what we hate every time we tweet at them every time we share something with vitriol and poison in it and it feeds like we can all see that there's a mechanistic machine eating the planet right now like we all see it and a lot of people's response to trying to help it instead of spreading love in the part of the garden where they're at, it's just to fucking send their nuclear phasars mm-hmm. into the blob. Yep. And it feeds it because all these humans that are doing these things were born babies at some point didn't know love and they still have a baby boy or baby girl inside of them. And every time we attack them, that thing continues to guard harder, seeks more power. Yep. Like how many people fed Trump who didn't want to feed trump no doubt that's the that's the key lesson it's a lesson that um you know starhawk you know beautifully exemplified in the fifth sacred thing you know where the attacking force was coming to overrun utopia and she's you know the people of of their society were like you know we have a seat for you at the table we have a seat for you at the table and despite all the torture and all and the killing and everything that they were doing initially that eventually wore them down and they laid down their guns and they're like and fought off the people who were more vehement and they're like we want the seat at this table we want love we really do want love and it's going to take a little while because they're not going to trust it right but the more that the more that love is offered you know ultimately it's what defeats it now of course there's those considerations of in a temporary situation you know someone comes in your house and they're trying to kill you you may not have that option you may not be able to love them and save your family in that moment so you may have to use force right and that's okay you know but ultimately what will win against that energy at large is love yeah and the more that we can practice that when we have available when the gun isn't pointed at ourselves or at our beloved and we have to take action if we can love it's going to win you know because it's what everybody wants every conscious creature every conscious creature even the shadow demon i too am the shadow demon 
and the archon, as I am all things, infected with all sicknesses that the world has. It is my opportunity and gift to be able to heal myself and thus be able to help heal the world. Nothing else matters. If I cannot heal myself, there is no hope that I can heal any aspect of the world. It must start with me. And perhaps, as the mythical rainmaker or the great kahuna, if the task is done thoroughly, the task ends with me as well, as within, so without. I don't know what to do about the Mecha Archon. I suppose that it will deanimate when the energy that supports it runs out. It is not separate from us. It is us, just aggregated. Which is a priori, the sickness mm-hmm. within or the sickness without? It doesn't matter. Chicken and egg. A cyclical dependency and necessity that becomes a Zen koan when you try to arrive at origin. Where's the beginning of the circle, right? Right. Is the, yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out. And that was, it was like a deep philosophical contemplation right. of, okay, is this coming from with us, originating from us, or are we feeling this from the collective darkness and then assuming it ourselves and then feeding it back? It's impossible to figure that out. Right, it feels like the question to ask is, where am I on the circle? Right. Start there. Yeah, it's the only, it's the only right. question. The other one's like, again, it's like, a Zen, it's like the Zen koan, yeah. you know? Where does like, the circle begin? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you can't possibly figure it out. There's right. no way, there's no way to understand that. It's the wrong question. So, you know, that was, that was kind of a, a clear, clear way to say, all right, right, forget it all. <laughs> right. Like, I got me, and I got this thing, and it's sick. Right. So let me heal it. Exactly. And like, that's, that's it. Tend to your part of the garden. Is that Jordan Peterson who loves talking about that? Um, uh, Jack Cornfield is actually. Jack Cornfield, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so then with that, as I was kind of pondering the, the challenges in the collective and challenges dealing with this darkness within and without, um, I recognized that faith was an important thread. And I touched faith, but it was elusive, ephemeral. It was the answer to so many questions and so many problems. Faith, 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 my child. Faith is a funny thing, you know. I I think we've been encouraged to have faith in things that were not faith-worthy. You know, things that were like, put your faith in this. You know, but that's not faith. Faith is a knowing that that love is the fabric of the universe, that love will ultimately prevail, that it will all work out whether this life or whether a million lives from now, like it's going to work out. It's a knowing. It's a knowing that everything is all right and you don't have to know why and you don't have to know how. And that's why if you do know how, it's not faith. Like that, if you know Interesting, it, right. if you know it, if you can figure it out and explain why, it's not faith. It's just a, a logical conclusion based right. on the evidence that you have. That's not it. Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind is um, faith is what's required for you to do for the first time a new way of being. And then um, if it works, it's knowledge. It's if it doesn't work over and over and over again and you have to override that nine still whisper inside of you of maybe this isn't the way. That's when faith becomes dogma. and It becomes this fucking Mm -hmm. cage. But faith is the thing that's required to begin for the first time a thing that you don't know will work. Or you don't know that it will unfold in the way that you want it to. 
yeah, faith is the thing that has liberated countless numbers of lives. It's also the thing that has trapped, or what is sold to them as faith, has mm-hmm. trapped millions of lives inside of things that don't work. Which is why I think faith is something that people push against, yeah. you know, because people just say, this doesn't make any sense, I know, but just have faith. But really, it doesn't make sense because it shouldn't make any sense because it's wrong. Right. You know, just believe in this absolutely judgmental deity that's punishing and wiping people from the earth and, you know, cursing people to eternal damnation, but have faith in this thing as as the savior. And it's like, right. but, but really though? Because that sound, doesn't sound cool. That sounds like worse than a good human, you know? Like we don't punish people like that. That would be inhumane. <laughs> but th- we're gonna have faith in it. So people are like, fuck that. Right. But real faith is is faith in, in the light itself. Like, no, no, I have faith. Like I have faith in a benevolent universe. I have faith that love is the fabric of yeah. existence. A image that comes to mind is one of my favorite clips that I've ever seen on YouTube is it's one of the last interviews that somebody did of Carl Jung. And they the interview asks Jung, do you believe in God? And Jung gets this really whimsical smile on his face and he's like, oh, no, I don't believe. I know. <laughs> but he says this. He says it with this beautiful smirk, like he knows what he is saying is going to be misinterpreted by everyone who hears him, and he's still going to say it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's saying "I know" with a smirk feels like faith. Yeah, you know, like I know, but I can never explain it. Right, and that I don't need to, and I'm yeah. still going to go do the fucking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was difficult to stick with it you know it's a it's a, like anything practice makes the master so i could touch it and then i would be like oh, i don't know if it's gonna work i don't know if i'll get any healing i don't know if we're gonna make it through this challenging times i don't know if the forces that be are gonna you know drive us into further and further oppression and then the, the desire for power and then it was like no no faith just have faith have faith you know, so it was like wa- it was like wavering back and forth and i was able to strengthen it over the time but i think that's also another you know radical way that you can solve a lot of different issues if you have faith yeah you can sort out what to do and use your mind i think the mind is a beautiful tool but if you have faith that it's all going to work out the way that you'll see the solution it's like no no there is a solution there is a way there is a next best step and i have faith that it's going to work out and maybe i'll fail in this life and this articulation as me carrying this name but that's okay because i'll be back again and we'll all be back again (laughs) and we're all one anyways you know we're not separate from source we're not separate from each other that principle of interbeing that charles eisenstein talks about we're we're all going to make it (laughs) we're all going to and like if you have that faith it just it buffers you from so much suffering and right. then allows you to see the potential opportunities and and get on your toes on the balls of your feet instead of on your heels like oh my god what's going on but it allows you to be nimble anybody who's in any kind of mission or any challenging situation they have to have faith that they're going to make it out right you know like if you're in a trapped in a snow you know an avalanche and you're like i don't know how i'm going to find my way out everything looks like up everything looks like down nothing makes any sense like if you have faith You'll just you'll find your way if you lose yourself to panic. You know, there's books written about That's people sorry. who survive these things and don't. It's just this belief, like, no, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way. I'm gonna get out of here. Yeah, I believe that I'm gonna make it, and and I know that I'm gonna make it. And that faith is just going to be, you know, it's just going to be the thing that is most likely going to give you the best outcome. In anyways, even th- from a pragmatic standpoint, exactly. And I think that that's the point that is the most important is faith when 
met with your responsibility to try as hard as you possibly can gives you the best chance. It doesn't mean it will, but it gives you the best chance. Yep. And I think that what's important with faith is to br like bring the totality of your mind with it. But faith is I will try. Yep. And then you actually fucking bring your rationality, your creativity, your intuition, all the faculties Even that your you physicality. Have, 100%. Along. But faith feels like for me, for most people, it's that first step. Like it's the mythological idea that you don't get to see the bridge or the trail in the dark forest until you commit before you can see it. Mm -hmm. And then it reveals. And yep. that's a constant motif. Yep. No doubt. Ceremony wraps. That first time you walk outside and you look up, <laughs> yes. holy shit. I mean, the stars, like, it's, Dude. it's unbelievable. I mean, ayahuasca, as hard as it is, is worth it just to see the stars. I almost said those exact words, like that moment. Like, have you ever used that star app where you can yeah. put, it's like that, but real life. Like, it, <laughs> It's, it's hard to articulate, but when you're on a planet and you're looking up at the sky, it, it feels static unless you're really tuned in. But when you just did ayahuasca, you can feel, and I don't know what it is, but you can feel that like you're on this moving orb in space and the entire fucking heavens are illuminated. Mm -hmm. It feels like I can almost see like the different characters that we've made up from, like almost like my mind knows in a, and and it's fucking bright in, it's in, in a way unreal. that's unart unreal i mean yeah and the energy of these suns all these stars being distant suns the burning the fusion all pouring its light over billions of light years to reach us and you just feel it and it's i wrote uh the stars were like dazzling blue diamonds in a calm ocean of warm midnight and it's just like holy shit I mean, so unbelievably beautiful. And that's one of those things where we can say the words and we can be poets, but you cannot know it until <laughs> yeah. you stand there and you uh -huh. look up after having vomit yeah. in the darkness. Yeah, absolutely. Last line from that day, the healing has begun. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, you know, scramble to get a couple hours of sleep. That was one of the challenges um, of the of the way that they'd set it up was sleep was you no. know in absolute scarcity and you know I think if I was devising a plan I would probably build in a little more time for sleep. Um, there were some specific things about you know I had different talks I was giving so I had actually had more obligations which robbed me of even more sleep, but uh, but nonetheless like getting some rest to integrate each journey is uh, is something that. Um, you know, I would like to work with them to try and build in when I, when yeah. I go back because it's really helpful for me because, as, yeah. you know, Hamilton once told me, he's like, look, energy levels matter. Yeah. So I was, I was struggling to, to fully like integrate all the things because it's hard to get that night's rest because you get to bed four, maybe if you're lucky, you know, and then you're up at, you know, eight to get breakfast at eight. Because you're hungry as fuck. Because you're hungry because you haven't had a meal the night before and yeah. you only get two meals the next day. But nonetheless, like you just power through, and it yep. really does train on the positive side. It trains that kind of warrior, 100%. warrior energy. Like, okay, like I don't have a lot of energy, but I'm going to show up anyways, and uh, let's go, Hoka. Yeah.
night two rolls around make it there and um so yeah i'll start uh i'll start reading into this and night two was more of like a accentuation of the feelings of night one just more deep cleaning like more of the fever starting to come out you know the fever of my sickness starting to starting to purge did you drink two cups at the very beginning i did yeah yeah i went two right off the bat at the start uh because i didn't want to extend the experience i did the same thing so i wanted to front load the maximum um so night two and i wrote this in a slightly different way but i'll just read it it's remarkable what i accomplished for being a corpse Olympia, Olympia, cuerposito, which is clean, clean the little body. <laughs> Flushing the dead down the toilet. And really what I was, it was a moment of levity where I was like, wow, I've been largely clogged with death. Wow. But you know what? Like I've still done some cool shit. Yeah. You know? Despite being mostly a corpse, like I've done all right. And so it's just a kind of way to acknowledge myself and, and say like <laughs> that's so funny because <laughs> i see you on a day-to-day and i i that's great yeah <laughs> and then into the into the lessons which really this was you know largely about the lessons there's a couple of visions in night two when you are constantly looking for the reflection you want in everybody else's eyes you don't know who you are you are people pleasing because you need the reflection of being liked to affirm that you are likable when you really know who you are as the one striving to grow you are excited about your blind spots mm. you measure everything that comes with curiosity and no matter what you don't take anything personally if it is a helpful reflection you are grateful if it is a biased reflection it doesn't stick in the uncertainty or the false identification you are open to be wounded so that was this real understanding of a lot of my challenge is just not really truly 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 knowing who i am and so still i'm looking for validation from my audience i'm looking for validation from am i doing a good job am i being a good boy am i being a good boy everybody am i being a good boy yeah like and it's just screaming that out yeah you know to myself my own judge yeah you know that own inner inner kind of adjudicator that's like i don't know i don't know are you doing good or are you not doing good well let's look at what your what the impact is let's read it from the right. rest of the world and that's uh it's a deadly deadly trap uh there's a great idea that is presented in the book anti-fragile that i think is incredible <clears throat> and it's like there's fundamentally two types of systems there's fragile systems and there's anti-fragile systems and the myths that he uses to articulate that is the sort of it starts with the D, Damascles or something. Are you familiar? The sort. Damascles? Damascles? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's fragile. And then a hydra is anti-fragile. And the idea is one seeks to maintain what it is. And that's the boy asking, am I a good boy? I'm trying to stay static. Mm-hmm. Am I a good boy? Inherently fragile. The hydra is like a plant. It's like, what can I eat or go towards that will help me grow? Yeah. And it's a fundamental different orientation. And we all've got the fragile boy and girl inside of us, yeah. all of us, because if we weren't liked when we were infants, we died. So one of our deepest and I don't think it I think a lot of people in the spiritual community like 
whip themselves when they feel these feelings because they think that people like us don't feel these feelings. Mm -hmm. This is an eternal chord of the instrument that you are. Like yep. it's imprinted in you. And I think what the spiritual being is able to do is dance with it. Yeah. It's not something that you, I mean, I don't know anyone who's removed one of these core instinctual primal drives of having a human body. I mean, that's, that's ra it's radical transcendence. You know, you're talking, we can probably name, name the ones who've, you know, who've freed themselves of this because it cuts all the way deep to the core of evolutionary biology. This is something we've been talking about, you know, for my book that we're working on is ultimately if you were not liked by your peer group in a tribal setting, the tribe could just leave you. And you die. And you die. You're alone in the wilderness trying to fend for yourself when we're social beings. So this social approval is just wired in deep. And yes, it still is important, but it's gotten twisted and it's gotten overwrought. And right. we think that our physical appearance is the thing and, and all of these things that we do and how much money we have and all of these things are fine. Like strive for those of their own intrinsic value to you. But like this constant fear of whether you're doing it right or not is just going to cause you to sacrifice the truth of who you are over yeah. and over. And then the more you do that, the more you lose the truth of who you I are. Know. And the more desperate you are to have a reflection to show you, you're looking in every fucking mirror you can, whether that's a barbell or whether that's an actual mirror or whether that's your Instagram or whether that's your lover or whether that's your parents, you're just looking in mirrors constantly. Like, can I see who I am? Can I see who I am? And fuck, it's exhausting. Yeah, You know, it's like an endless challenge. The false identification comes when you're attached to an idea of who you want to be. It is the identity of who you are not, built brick by brick by spiritual bypass. <laughs> this is a betrayal of your truth. Yeah. You identify as what you were striving for rather than identifying as the one who is striving while honoring all aspects of self on all dimensions. And I got this phrase, it's great to act like Jesus as long as you're Jesus. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just full of shit. I love it. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, wow. this is the core of spiritual bypass. Like, I am the one that you're, you think that you're the one that you're striving to be. I, I'm, I'm like Jesus and I'm going to act like this. Oh, I get, I get attacked. I'm going to turn the other cheek. And that's who I am because I'm the turn the other cheek Jesus guy. Meanwhile, there's the animal that's just building resentment and anger and vitriol. And one more little slap could be a tap on the shoulder. And all of a sudden it snarls out and spews all that spring-loaded venom that you've kept from the denial of yourself on all levels because you spiritually bypassed to this. I mean, I could write volumes about this and speak volumes about this just from open relationship. Yeah. I had, I was identifying as the one, I'm fine with all things. Yes, Whitney, sleep with whoever because I have compersion for you and for them, because we're all connected. We are all one. Different facets of the infinite diamond. <laughs> and I'm like, you did what? You did what? Ugh. And then I'm like puking in the bathroom and like freaking out. And like, that was, it just wasn't true. Yeah. And she would always ask. She was always good. She's like, is it okay if I do? Like, can, is it all right? Maybe not always, but most of the time she would ask like, hey, is it okay if I go, you know, spend a week with this guy? And I'd be like, Yes, of course it is, because I am I Jesus. am I am compersion open relationship Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And I'm fine. And like day fucking four, I was not fine. Yeah. And poor wit, because like she would say, she got the verbal clearance from me, like, yeah, I'm fine. 
but I wasn't fine and I was hardly ever fine, you know? So like it creates so much, so much turbulence. Whereas I just wasn't acknowledging really the truth of who I was on all levels. Yeah, some part of me, you know, was that person who had compersion and I was able to touch it from time to time. But the integrated being along the full spectrum of who I was from the animal all the way to the spiritual being, I was ignoring a good swath of that. And that was leading to massive, massive problems. It really feels like the alchemy to spiritual bypassing is be brave being a fucking animal. Like admit and feel it fully and grieve it. Like one of the most impactful books you've ever shared with me was recently, and it's mm-hmm. The Smell of Rain on Dust. And it's all about grief and praise. And like when we started the research on depression for the book, like one of the biggest things that we see is wrong with our culture is we don't know how to grieve. We have an entire mental system set to numb you from grieving. But grieving is essentially the admitting that you're not Jesus right now. Yeah. That you're not the spiritual thing right now. But what I find is if you can get on your knees and cry or admit when you're small or admit when you have some shitty fucking opinion about something that is the opposite of quote unquote spiritual, that's the most direct path towards growing into that being yeah and you know the the challenge is is it's also too often you know we're not supported by people who have this knowledge like the tribe that martine preshtel right. talks about and you know the smell of rain on dust the tribe that knows and understands grief so instead and i get this all the time i was just talking about this on coaching call with the fit for service crew you know you'll and i, I was doing this too i was projecting all of this you know frustrated anger from the denial of the animal aspect of who i was and like the the ego aspect of who i was which was deeply wounded and i'd be like you were doing this and i can't believe you do this you're so inconsiderate blah 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 and like of course when i'm pointing all arrows and all spears and all fucking barbed wire at the person they're not fucking spiritual jesus either and nor do they have even the awareness to be like i see that you know you need to grieve and I see that let it out, just let it all out. And not because they're gonna take it personally and it's gonna be really hard and devastating. They're gonna be like, I did bad and I can't believe it. And they're gonna internalize some of that, or they're gonna mount back their other attack. Well, you did, you know, and it creates this cycle where in truth it's like, okay, child, like I see, just wail it out, like wail it out, grieve, allow yourself to grieve. And with intelligence from the individual and, and wisdom, real wisdom. Be like, okay, I need to grieve this. I don't need to grieve it at somebody. Right. And I certainly shouldn't be projecting this. This is my need to wail like a baby that was just birthed and had that cold air touching their lungs for the first time as their wet skin found themselves in this cold, different planet. And they're like, gah, and just crying there, you know, screeching in grief. Like that's that's what we need sometimes. But instead, we'll point it at somebody. And then that creates, you know, a traumatic experience for the person we're pointing it to and the traumatic experience for us because then ultimately we come out from that and we realize like oh my god i can't believe what i've done i did it again yep. and then we p- compound that with our own shame after we release our fucking poison arrows and then we think we think we're even worse and we have more shame which then can drive us to even identify even more with something else because we're so ashamed of what we've done right. that we're in denial of what we've done and it creates this vicious cycle where we just need to really get it out and i think that's where breath work and ecstatic dance and having that community and and a community that's like can identify like hey 
do you need to grieve this do you need yeah. to, do you need to let this out like is there a part of your animal that just wants to fucking scream and yell come on we'll do it we'll go down to the we'll go down to the river we'll go down to the water and like just let it out like let it all out like i'll hold i'll be there yeah you know like i'll be there for you like let it all go curse and scream and cry and punch the sand and wail and and scream to god you know and move past it and that would change so many things you know yeah the vision that i'm seeing is like i have some people in my life who have shown me this a couple of times and I almost am afraid to see these people when I'm going through something hard, but they're the type of person where they look at you and you can just tell by the way that they're looking at you that they can feel your pain and they start crying. And you know that they see the part in you that needs to cry and they haven't even said anything and you're like, fuck, I'm about to cry. <laughs> and that's one of the beauties of having elders or you know, magicians in your tribe is like just those people that can look you in the eye you don't have to give me a story you don't have to give me reasons i see that there's a part of you that needs to cry and i will cry with you until you are done and then we'll go get lunch yeah yeah i mean i'm i've been blessed to have those people too but it's funny like the resistance to calling them up on the phone 100 percent. you know i remember christine hassler was one of those people that you know i would like see her like yeah let's go get some coffee cool we'll catch up and then like i just see her and just start crying yep you know because she could see yeah and she was just without wordlessly holding space in their divine feminine and i was like you know but i think and there's different you know different ways and different people who can offer that but such a gift when we can really yeah. offer that and when and the problem is is that we'll all too often get caught up in the words and the person will be trying to dissuade somebody to get on their side and agree with their justified position of why it's all this other person's fault and then you'll you'll start to build this you know reinforcement of the story you can't reinforce the story you know you have to allow their story and just encourage them to get back to the root feeling right. and the release of the root feeling and if stories have to come out let the stories pour but don't weigh in on the story right the, you know, story, the story doesn't matter it's it's always a shield and i'm 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 willing to bet and i invite people who are listening to run this experiment every angry story ever told behind it is a child that needs to cry like whenever you're telling a story in anger, even if it's about politics or whatever, if you just don't engage with the story as the, as the listener and you try to just feel into the boy or the girl inside of them that's overwhelmed, that's crying. That's crying right now. And the anger is the guard and the lawmaking in the court of love or in the court of injustice or whatever. That's, it's frantically trying to build this fucking suit of armor. Yeah, And that nothing that you do to the story can help the child cry and so can you just be with the child that needs to cry i mean it's so it's like it's like we it's like there's certain things that we need on like a we need to like fucking <laughs> tattoo them on our hand or are they angry right now they <laughs> yeah. need to cry am yeah. i angry right now <laughs> yeah, exactly it's like they're so important and they're not like long lessons to have you know but it's like you just can be reminded of this because there's so many times especially when you're with somebody and you want to be sympathetic and maybe you even agree with their story right 
you know maybe you're like yeah fuck that yeah, person. fuck that <laughs> fuck that person that's fucking bullshit <laughs> and then your anger gets redoubled in there and then then all of a sudden you're in this energy and you're just painting on their pseudo armor you're not no doubt with them <laughs> and honestly like vi and i got caught in some stories in the in the rest day you know the next day and i won't go into that because it's involving our personal life but we got caught in stories and these stories were dragging us like a bull with that thing through their nose all the way through the fucking streets of muck yeah and then eventually i had one phone call with a with a brother and he was like yeah i i hear your story i i don't necessarily think it's an accurate story i this is what i see and i'm like oh well that's a relief and nothing changed other than my own story in yeah. my head yeah but like we we can so easily and, and vi and i you know we're feeding each other we were one-upping each other on the store oh yeah I'm fucking man fucking that, fucking <laughs> yeah. that. and all of a sudden we were both like completely thrown off couldn't take a nap and we're all fucked up yeah you know and and so yeah it's important to just be mindful of all of all of that hold the stories lightly and with a grin Mm-hmm. know that you must story if you're a human mm-hmm. like congratulations you have a body you have a mind you'll tell a story but the stories are fucking wisps of smoke at best even the most beautiful ones mm-hmm. yeah oh all right i am the one who is striving not the one who has accomplished it is a present tense not a past tense identity this is my purpose to strive to heal completely i am my purpose a force not so much a man this is seizing the sword this is the reclamation of my innate power so this was really a key affirmation for me to just say look stop worrying about what you have been and what you're tending to be in all of these fixed positions you are the one striving and your striving is to heal and this is your purpose i am the one striving to heal and if i can keep that in mind i am the one striving to heal oh there's something challenging this is where all of the stoic wisdom comes in and all of that oh and that's why when you say that flippantly oh this person is angry that's my teacher it's not if you're a person or if you're the thing that you're hoping to get to that's Mm. just an annoyance right but if you identify as the one as a purpose rather than a being but you're a purpose and your purpose is to strive to heal well then of course they're your teacher because they're giving you some resistance they're the right. resistance training they're the weights that are going to make you get stronger but without that shift in identity it's just going to be like no that's just a fucking nuisance right. you know that's just a weed let me pluck up pluck it from the garden throw it in the wood chipper and let's call it a fucking <laughs> day son so yeah that was a uh, that was kind of a key a key little affirmation just to identify as the one striving to heal a couple other random thoughts one of the reasons that sport is so important to me is that the game is defined i know my purpose because the game is small i can measure myself clearly mm. it is the ultimate finite game i can surrender myself in that game because i understand it so i've always wondered why like sport is such a key thing for my life but and the world is the life is so complicated it's it is the infinite game life life is like multifaceted and so beyond our even comprehension it is dancing with the mystery but basketball simple you know what are we playing to 11 yeah Yeah. first to 11 (laughs) first to 11 twos and threes and ones and twos yeah clearly defined rules yeah 
a clearly defined team mm. and a clearly de- a clear definition of when the ball is going in or not. Now, where is the contention when you're playing pickup basketball? In the un in the not clear their opinion or their story versus your story about fouls. it being fouls, right? <laughs> the only part that creates any conflict That's in so sport funny, yeah. because it's such a clearly defined thing is when you're calling your own fouls wow. or you have a subjective opinion from the ref that's deciding whether this thing was clear or not. Yeah. That's where we have the conflict. But life, nothing is defined, so it's conflict everywhere. Mm. But like when we really understand something, you know, it's why like a game like shuffleboard, you know, is like really clear how many fucking things are left on the end of the on the end of the board or right. not. There's no fouls. Right. You know, there's like no debate. Wow. You know, there's like and so people hardly get in raging shuffleboard accidents. <laughs> you know, whereas I've seen like basketball fights break out. Or 100%. Like, that's a bullshit foul. Fuck yeah, you, you know? Absolutely. Or even with the ref. Like, that's a fucking terrible call. You know, like, what do people get mad about in the stands? Not the opponent making a great play. You know, I remember when I was a huge Kings fan, and there's this crazy moment where the Kings were trying to score on Patrick Waugh, who's an amazing goalie, like a Hall of Fame goalie. And there's a great move. I forget the Kings player who did it, but you know breakaway or two on one and a great move and a great shot patrick wad just gloves it and then winks at him yeah and like it was devastating but also goddamn, did you admire it yes you know like nobody was everybody was like did you see that shit (laughs) (laughs) that shit was nasty (laughs) you know like that's not the thing but i also remember like a bad call oh man the great western form would be an outrage yeah you know fucking chanting at the refs so you blind the three blind mice you know so yeah and 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 i think that's again it's so simple and it's so lovely it's such a nice respite from the infinite game of the world to just like oh clearly defined game let's go yeah let's fucking go I have I have never considered that the point of contention in most sports is that part where it's not clearly defined. Yeah, and there's a great book that I would recommend to people called Finite and Infinite Games. Yeah, which James is Carson. The most on the sneak, holy shit! This is a spiritual text, not acting like a spiritual text I have ever read in my mm-hmm. fucking life. And there's this interesting quality of finite games where to seek to win is to call an end to the game. And that, like, so there's the fundamental mystery. And then there's our response to the fundamental mystery, which is to try to put order on it. But if you create any type of game around the mystery of life that seeks an endpoint, it's to bring an end to life. There's something about the mechanistic archon and the game that we're playing as a culture that's led by politics and companies where they're trying to bring, like, they're trying to win. But to win a finite game is to end the game. Yeah. The big thing that he talks about in that book is an infinite player wins at the infinite game by acting in a way that allows it to continue. The continuation of the game for all eternity to come. Yeah. That's the win. It's the playing. It's the playing, exactly. not the winning. It's <laughs> it's not done. It's yeah. it's the being in it. Yeah. yeah. It's that book is fucking God. But you can also understand that. <clears throat> when people reduce the infinite game to a finite game oh my game is to make a hundred million dollars finite game there's a actual scorecard and the scorecard is your bank account yep and if you're in that you can lose yourself in that game and there can be a great release a great release from the from the sheer terror of the mystery and the unknowing so i think 
we can also have sympathy for 100%. the motivation for that. Right. Like, all right, let's reduce this to a power game in which there's a winner and there's a loser. I'm going to be the winner. Yeah. And and so they're trying to create where it belongs. It belongs on the basketball court or on the pickleball court or whatever on the golf course. That's where it belongs. Play all those finite games and have fun and keep playing them. Play again. You know, keep playing again. Like when we have a pickup game, it's not like it's not like I did it. I won the most games today. Never playing again. No, it's like this feels good for a little while, but it's right. it is the infinite game of continuing to play. But we have little breaks in it, and in right. that, and that's a healthy way to do it. But when you're stretching this out for a lifetime, and then your your destiny, or not your destiny, but your you know who you are. I remember I went to this uh this cemetery in Argentina, and everybody like this famous Recoleta Cemetery. And it was all of these monuments of these generals. And it was like, and this general fucking slayed this many people and, you know, was the terror of the indigenous. And he has like a flag and he's like holding like, you know, like I am the champion of this. And we think that we're going to move on into perpetuity with our titles and our accomplishments. And we're going to have this big statue in our ceremony and everybody's going to give a shit. Who fucking cares? Right. You know, but they're caught in this game of like, how many medals can I get on my vest? And will that medals, will those medals be immortalized in the cemetery where everybody's going to see? And then my character that I'm playing is going to live on for eternity. No, you're going to live on for eternity anyways. Your character doesn't <laughs> fucking matter. But it's the, yeah. it's just this misidentification of what's happening. And the thing that comes to mind is the poem, I am Ozymandias, king of kings. Look at my work, ye mighty, in despair. And the person walking by just sees rubble. Like all he sees is that placard <laughs> having that quote. And it's like, time's going to eat you, dude. Yeah, always. You know? Yeah. And fighting against it is absolutely futile. Time is undefeated. <laughs> and there really is compassion because I've had a couple of moments where it feels like I faced eternity. It's the most terrifying thing ever, period. Yeah. So I totally understand. <laughs> of course. And that's, you know, as flippant as we are with the language, at the core of it is the deep sympathy. Yeah. You know, like the deep compassion for people just trying to figure out how to condense the sheer un incomprehension of this infinite mystery into something that makes sense. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. The suffering became intense. The nausea billowed in waves. The sweat squeezed out of me as if my pores were too tight to release the water. I reached out for Jesus. I whispered his name and felt him rising in my heart. The light of the Christ attracted the darkness of the shadow caterpillar. Well, that's, so I got to explain that. <laughs> nah, nah, just go on. <laughs> so I learned that, you know, especially from St. Michael the day before, I learned I could call on allies. And, you know, I called on St. Michael and I got St. Michael appeared and was helped, helped me guide. And I was just really suffering, you know, in this place. Um, not scared necessarily, but it's just like, man, everything was, I was nauseous and I was sure I had to shit, but I was not sure I could walk. And so it was just <laughs> like grumbling and I wanted to like stretch to the side. But as soon as I would roll my legs over to do like a gentle twist, I felt like I will shit my pants yep. if I do that. So I got to line back up straight up and just deal with the pressure that's on my sphincter. Oh. And, and then like I was sweating, but I was impossibly both hot and cold at the same time where I needed to cover myself. But then when I covered myself, I was too hot. And it was like, oh. So I was like, all right, who can I call? Man, fuck it. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going for the big dog. And I started, I just started whispering Jesus. I was just saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
Jesus. Jesus. Jesus. And I half expected a being to come like St. Michael did and like, hey, here's Jesus. Here I am. <laughs> Not how it worked. I could feel pure love awakening from my center of centers right in my heart. And I was like, whoa. I could feel that light growing in my chest. And to be honest, my heart chakra is often fairly clenched. Mm. It's not a common occurrence for my heart to be wide open. I'm a loving person, but I'm loving in spite of a largely clenched heart. And I have felt it flower and I felt it wide open and it's the most incredible thing. And I could feel it opening and this just light, the ecstasy of this light just of my heart opening. And then in a pretty neutral vision space, of course there's things kind of happening, but as soon as it started to awaken, all of these strange little caterpillar-like shadow figures just went like and like popped up in my vision. And they and they were looking at me with curiosity, like, oh, is the Christ gonna come? Is the Christ gonna come? Oh, Christ is here. Great. And it was like moths to a flame. Yeah. They weren't like evil by any means, but they were like nuisances almost. Right. Like, and I was like, I was like, no, 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 get out of here. They're very distracting because they're all of a sudden they're in my vision, like looking right down on me. And it was a really like interesting experience because I I recognized at that point like oh the darkness is attracted to the light like Jesus is this the most immaculate light and one of the the beautiful aspects of the Christian religion is in creating these archetypes they were one of the few that named the blistering edge of polarity as the Christ of pure pure light so if there's polarity and there's a spectrum of mm-hmm. light and dark you know they named they named the being at the very edge where you can't go anymore in that direction you've reached the pure right. light because the thing that you're articulating is almost every other religion all of their gods have some light and dark in them like totally zeus was a fucking asshole yeah odin is a little bit closer to the christ consciousness but like and a little bit a little bit and you brought this up at dinner and i had never thought about it before but of course christ is the most blistering archetype that we've given a name and a story to of the most extreme polarity of of love or light or good yeah even in you know even in the hindu traditions you know i mean you have shiva and sometimes destroyer sometimes creator brahman you know all of these different hanuman but they're very they're very much more like great beings that are people sometimes fighting sometimes loving sometimes in the divine sometimes always maybe in the divine but not the blistering blistering edge of turn the other cheek love only and only love always love pure love all the time you know which is like if if god if source which is all light and all dark and everything was split into a spectrum it's just the being that's all the way on the end right and it's very very interesting and very cool that you know christianity had the audacity to create that being i mean it exists but to name that being and then use that being of course it's been misguided and misinterpreted in many different ways but nonetheless that being in its essence you know call it jesus call it the christ call it whatever but you know the universe understood what i was meaning by using that word right and it was starting just starting to awaken you know it's not like i became the christ <laughs> you know but i was like just starting to awaken in my heart and it's it's there it's available in all our hearts and that's what jesus was trying to say and you can read all of you know ted decker's mystical writing to really understand the true mystical truth of what the bible was trying to say when you interpret it 
with that lens. And I encourage people to do that. Um, Ted Decker is just a fucking phenomenal, phenomenal, you know, mystic storyteller. But in any case, uh, it was just really interesting and a, and a really interesting reminder that as you get from, as you pull from center, there's magnetization to the other side of that polarity. Mm. So the light is magnetized to the dark as the dark is magnetized to the light. And, you know, it occurred to me as well, like, we've never heard and we've been talking a lot about stories and like jordan peterson says stories are true stories when they represent something that's true in nature and that's why we like stories that are true it's like oh this, this feels like feels right. right you know and so we'll read these fantastical tales but when there's darkness and like a really dark you know force and a really light force they never just like hang out <laughs> you know there's not like there's the dark force here and the light force here and it's like hey what's up demons it's like what's up angels have a good day you know like oh fresh donuts over here like oh sweet thanks demon you know like no problem angel never yeah it's always like and the stories are always they suck into each other into into conflict trying to figure out because they're pulled to each other right light is attracted to dark always and so that that just that understanding like okay this is just the tension of the game right you know as light beings we're going to be attracted to the dark because we want to bring light into the darkness as dark beings you know we're going to try and snuff out the light yeah there's this really great like short story that came to me when i was trying to understand like how the psyche responds to trauma and it basically like and i this was actually inspired by the story that you shared on episode 127 with joe rogan about the um like Hindu cosmology where there's like two gods, one is archetypically feminine and one's male and they kind of almost agree to play a game. And it's like, there's some force, I'm calling it psyche, that like is just all about growth. Like I, I am here to make life. And then her eternal lover is entropy. And entropy is like, I love you so much, my entire being is committed to making your creations more beautiful only way to do that you have to kill them so they can adapt and that's almost the like fundamental energetic thing that is happening it's like all the dark like we did a uh wachuma ceremony a while ago and someone just snuck in the most beastical mystical line i ever heard and it's the darkness serves the light and i and i and, and i chewed on that for fucking weeks and it kind of brought that story oh, no. yeah and they're they're eternal lovers light and dark and that's i think why you know and i didn't necessarily understand it in the complexity that i do now but in my previous ayahuasca journey when i had a vision of and this was an externalized vision of jesus and an externalized vision of the devil they were they were like in different sides of my visionscape and then they immediately ran together and joined in a sexual embrace, you know, where they were just making love. And I was like, whoa, that's fucking intense. Yeah. But like, I get it, you know, it's because that the beings on one side to the other, the match, you know, the polar match for that being is the absolute darkness. And that's that's what creates polarity in that embrace, in that act of lovemaking is all of life and free will and the entirety Absolutely. of the universe and combined only when they're in the embrace god is there mm. as the everything the embrace of the light and the dark 
Yep. Marina, Maestra, Maestra Marina, the healer, was a fearsome force. She was Baba Yaga, simultaneously capable of incredible healing, and should she decide, absolute obliteration. <laughs> so that comes from I was lying with my head facing the healer towards the center of the room, and she came, and she's just this beautiful, sweet woman yeah. in the day. You know? <laughs> and then in the ayahuasca scape, I could just see her, of course, with my eyes closed, just enshrouded in these intensely beautiful, you know, robes with the Ikaro patterns and the Shipibo prints and these long kind of talons and this like, and she was singing her song of like pure healing and love, but it didn't, didn't hide the fact that if she decided, if she was like, today I'm not going to be a healer, today I'm going to fuck you up. Like she was absolutely like a, some ferocious force of like that feminine quality of nature like all of the fangs and the venom yeah. and the nails and you know the spiders and the snakes and the wind and the tidal waves and the earthquakes and the mm. everything she had within her but today she was just you know the agua florida blowing gently <laughs> yeah. over my body and the sweet song setting my energy in right accord and for me when i was working with her and her ikaro no matter what chaos was going on. I mean, I just described my previous chaos and, you know, opening Jesus kind of helped, but then the caterpillars distracted me and I kind of lost my track and didn't really stick with it. And so I was still back in the suffering trying to figure out when I was going to poop. And <laughs> But when I was with Marina, like everything just settled. It was like a deep, deep peace, you know? And I was like, oh man, that was good. That was like really, really necessary and really needed. And uh, and so it was just beautiful to experience her recognizing her ability to, to jump into the other polarity if she so choose, but yeah. then she was just choosing to be this like beautiful, beneficent healer. Something that I have felt with Teo in that space and what it felt like you had with her is in the ayahuasca space, you get the opportunity to touch the fullness of the archetype of the feminine capital F or of the masculine capital M and like for the feminine like to really even take in for a moment the bigness of mother nature like it can fucking destroy you at if it even loses its sense of presence for a moment it's so powerful it can just fucking end you but it's also supporting us mm -hmm. right now like our mother's body when we were growing inside of it if if it chose to attack us we die but it held us too. And like, just be like, it's so hard to, with our conscious mind, to be able to tap into the archetypical capital F feminine whenever you interact with a woman. And likewise for the capital M masculine. But man, that ayahuasca space, when the shaman is eight inches from you mm -hmm. singing and you can smell the ayahuasca on their breath, they're so yeah. close. Yeah. Like the opportunity to taste the bigness of that force that is inside of you it is right there yeah yeah and teo for me was just such a gentle gentle force of love it was like it was just like sunshine and sunshine and warm weather and it we was had a different relationship yeah <laughs> it was it was really interesting how both of them interacted but it yeah. was and always by the end of teo zikoro like I noticed a big shift, but it was so subtle and like so like brought me on this journey where only at the end did I realize 
I was way different than the start. Mm, yeah. You know, where it was like Marina, I could feel it was so rapid. It was like rapid. I was like, whoa, all right. And sometimes driving me, you know, then the, the following night really drove me into a deep, deep lesson that I needed. It just yeah. drove me deeper. And I think that was part of her. And I think that was part of both of their intentions for night three was to drive yeah, same. drive things as deep as possible. They yeah. know they know the course of things. They're 100%. not going to try and blow you out of the water night one or night two. Oh. They're regulating the energy along with the plants. Yeah. And so night two was really just like giving me a deep peace, you know, for for a moment. And man, I was fucking thankful for that. Judgment is the way the ego climbs in hierarchy stepping on the heads of everyone so that it can stand above the crowd so it consider itself worthy so it, it can ex- can consider itself worthy it is an act of separation a denial of the inherent unicity and interbeing judgment's a big, been a big thing for me i think it's a big thing for all of us yeah and i really came face to face with the understanding of what judgment's purpose is like the ego knows itself in relative position it doesn't inherently know what it is because it's a fiction it's a story it's an idea we're an idea of who we think we are we've yeah. got named we got a body but and then we the ego is like i am all of this stuff i think <laughs> you know it doesn't have it's not it's not, you know, like Paul Selig says, what's true is always true. The ego isn't always true. It's always changing and it's always created. It's a, it's a tool that allows us to navigate the level of density that we're currently at. Right. It's a necessary right. and beautiful tool, but nonetheless, it doesn't know where it is. So it only, its purpose is to judge itself in relative position. Again, going back to tribal standards. Exactly. If I'm better than the, these five people. Well, if we're playing, you know, Survivor, and you know the tribe has spoken and we got to cast a couple people out because there aren't the resources well if i'm better than these five well i'm gonna last right and i'm gonna survive and so the ego is constantly playing survivor and it's constantly trying to put itself above and if it can judge other people well anybody you judge and the more harshly you judge them the more you stand above them and i think that's what we're doing in society we're we're so in our ego that we're trying to find every other way to categorically and individually judge everyone. This skin color, judgment. This wealth status, judgment. This sex, judgment. This thing, judgment. Oh, you said that, judgment. Oh, you didn't do that, judgment. Oh, this, judgment. Oh, you look like this, judgment. All, every single possible fucking way we can, we're judging because we're desperate to be ahead from this innate fear of scarcity that maybe we're going to be left behind and maybe we aren't worthy of love after all but that's the that's the impetus for judgment it's to really step on other people to try and gain height what is wild is to the degree that you judge outwardly it's almost like a, a fit like a law of existence you judge yourself that harshly and so the more frantically you're seeking to get status by judging other people those people who do the most judgment who do the most judging if you could get them alone in a room and you looked at them like you knew that there was a child inside of them that needed to cry they're the ones with rampant depression rampant anxiety bipolar whatever the conditions are but it's because as we do outwardly we're doing inwardly and to have compassion for there is a very scared animal in you, especially if you've been traumatized or if you haven't known what it feels like to really get into the flow of the song of your life. Like 
It is your nature to try to elevate yourself over other people because your genes think that it's required for you to get them into the next generation. Like your reputation and your status is such a huge correla correlation to whether or not you would reproduce. Yep. But you also have motherfucking consciousness. You have sovereignty over how you use this. And if you're in someone's Instagram comment section and you're attacking them, you are probably at a point where when you're alone with your thoughts at night, you are fucking killing yourself. And if you can just take a step back from the Instagram comment section and ask yourself, what can I do today that can forgive the part of me that is that I'm radically judging? And maybe start to step more into that rainmaker thing. Once, yeah, because once you recognize like who you are beyond your own judgment of self, you don't need to judge other people because that's not the way that you justify who you are and justify your value. And, and the priority of putting the ego in relative position disappears. So if you're doing that, it means you're identified with the ego. And if you're identified with the ego, you're judging yourself accordingly because that's the whole reason why you're doing the whole thing. You know, so it is a clear and absolute sign that you are, you are in a forgetting of who you really are. And I think a lot of people get stuck on this. Judgment and discernment are, are different. And the metaphor I give people, because I think it's funny and it also thinks that it helps, is that uh, judgment is a doctor telling a surgeon that their patient is a fat ass slob. Discernment is the doctor telling the surgeon exactly what the cholesterol is and what the weight is and what the body fat is. That's not judgment, that's mm -hmm. discernment. Yeah. And there are people out here that need to be discerned in your life and in yourself, but judgment is not useful. The other aspect of the ego is to create boundary. You know, the ego, the ego is necessary so that we don't dissolve into an amorphous being back to the unicity anyways. <laughs> right. That's that defeats the purpose of the game. Like the ego gets you to the bathroom yeah, so you don't exactly, shit yourself. Exactly. The, the ego says, I am not everything. Mm. I am not God. You know, ego, I am. You know, I am not. And that's what it's saying. I am this and I which means I am not. So oh. it inherently implies a boundary, and that boundary is necessary. And discretion, depending on that boundary, is necessary. If you got a tractor coming to you and you don't have any ego, it'd be like, I am the pavement as well as the wow. tractor, and I will just get mowed into mush. I've never heard it articulated that way. And that I feel like that elegantly captures the whole thing. The ego says, I am not. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that we can honor but also just be mindful of. And awareness is the fucking game. You know, Anthony DeMello nailed it. You know, like awareness is is so much. I don't know what percentage, but it's just such a key part of the game. And then remembering the, the awareness, awareness and the remembering of the awareness is because you can touch awareness and then forget. Oh yeah, Which is will. also the human experience. <laughs> the delusion of a story or of a spell of manipulation appeared like a billowing cloud of smoke. It clogs the senses. It shrouds the truth. When you call it by its name, delusion, the smoke reveals the dark truth behind it. The sacred geometry returns, revealing judgment, anger, or jealousy. So I had this, I found myself caught in a story, and a story that brought up a lot of anger and brought up a lot of you know, judgment that I had, you know, in my personal life. 
in the ayahuasca visions and i all of a sudden was in i was in this place of fractal geometry and as i said it wasn't uncomfortable but it was also beautiful you know it was like the beautiful hell that i was currently in and it was gorgeous it was all the sacred geometry and all the things and but as soon as i got in that story i noticed that my vision it was all smoke and it was just all like black smoke and all of the the fine edges of the crystalline geometry of the space dissolved into this this clouds and as soon as i i think that really was what drew my attention i was like because i'm caught in the story and i'm thinking about it and i'm just seeing in the background i'm just seeing this vision and then i was like whoa my vision scape really changed here and then it made me aware of my story and i was like oh my story and this vision scape are linked mm. i was like let me get behind this story oh, okay i'm angry okay i have a lot of judgment and as soon as i did that the smoke cleared and what i saw was the geometry return the sharp edges and the and the things and but it was still black it was still dark but it was like a beautiful dark it was like a black prism yeah you know like a smoky quartz mm. it was like a black prism in this and there I saw my judgment for what it was. Beautiful but dark. But it was real. It was real. It wasn't the story. It wasn't the delusion. It wasn't my blaming and projection and my othering onto that, you know, person that I was thinking about. It was just this it was just the truth of what I was feeling. And I recognized that's such an important move because I was mm -hmm. lost in this thing. And as soon as I named it, I was like, okay, that's my story, that's my delusion and or you know a manipulation or whatever anything that any way that you're lost in the fog of delusion as soon as you name it that it dispels it literally dispels it and, Ooh, i like that <laughs> yeah. and then the, the sacred geometry returns even wow. if it's dark even if you're looking at something that's you know anger whatever yeah. things that are dark it's still like it's real it's not delusional one of the things that I hear in a couple of your stories that I also experienced in a couple of moments uh, when I most recently did ayahuasca was it feels like the ego dies, but there's still a, a story-making thing, and I, I guess it's the ego, but whatever, but that you don't realize your story-making most of the time. And one of the beautiful things that ayahuasca will do for you is we'll use the visionary space as almost this tuning fork that will respond to the stories that you're making that are unconscious and that you can literally create visions for yourself in that space not specifically what the vision is but you can change the vision through changing either your emotional state or the stories that you're telling like you called in the jesus experience by saying jesus mm -hmm. you you removed the smoke by removing the fog from the story yep. i had one moment where i got so excited that i saw in the visionary space like sparks coming out of me you know and it it feels like one, one of the main things that i taught me the very first time i drank is it's like you're you're not just here to lay the fuck down and receive dance with me mm. like meet me yep yep such a good lesson you know like let's let's go <laughs> you know like let's be in be an active I think it's i think a lot of things there's a good advice which is witness you know witness and allow absolute surrender and that's important you know in some aspects because if if you're really too attached to your stories and too attached to your fear or whatever and you take it too literally then you can find yourself in some dark spots and ayahuasca is <laughs> you know it, it's it's breaking the fever but in the fever 
you could die in the fever, like literally, you know, like depending on what your mental history is and depending on what other substances you might not have, you know, weaned off of appropriately, like this is no trivial thing, you know? So it is very important to, you know, be, to lean towards and have as your default surrender. But when you've gotten that, then like the, the highest articulation is, okay, now let's dance. You know, let's, in a surrendered way but let's dance let's be curious let's be creative let's ask let's you know with utmost respect not try and steer no not trying to drag you know that'll be hell she will (laughs) she she, will whoop you black belt judo (laughs) jujitsu of interdimensional consciousness but but that's uh yeah it's really it's really a great way to start to to start to you know dance with the medicine and it feels like there's a set of rules to dancing in the psychedelic space that I feel like intuitively I've learned through dreams, but you can't, it's, it's kind of beyond articulation, at least at this point in my development, but like you, you can't make it be other than what it is, but you can absolutely dance with it and add energy and yeah. All right. Being in truth is essential for the spiritual warrior every act of deception every time you choose trying over being is a subtle transgression against the soul a defilement of your divinity every swallowing of your words becomes a sickness festering do it long enough your divinity will be buried under the rot of your mendacity truth is a motherfucker it's uh on one hand so simple on the other so hard to really be in that because we've built a sandcastle on trying bypassing pretending pretending that we're all good i'm a good person i'm a good boy i'm a good girl and we've been training that from you know, parents, school, coaches, friends, lovers, everything, everything. There's a certain way that we get approval, a certain way that we navigate. And so to really express the truth, we're terrified that we're going to lose love from yeah. ourselves if we even acknowledge the truth to ourselves because we've internalized all those constructs. But it's the ultimate prison, as we said. And just to live in the blistering truth, really expressing the truth, even if it costs you. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, Chogyam Trumpa, the warrior's decency is the absence of strategy. <laughs> like, it's like, it's just not trying to be strategic, not spinning the eight ball, not saying, well, I'm going to say this and then this. And people always mistake this and be like, well, if you, you know, if someone's fat and you call them fat, that's not very nice. That's not truth. It's your judgment. You know, you want to tell the truth? I have a deep issue with judgment. And my judgment is telling me that I believe that you're fat. And so I want to spew this onto you. Yeah. Like you could, if you wanted to really express that truth, put it all on yourself and reveal the ugliness of the inherent patterning of your own judgment, fine. But it's not truth to say like, you're this. It's not true. They are what they are. You know, it's your judgment that is actually being exposed. Right. So people mistake that all the time for like, 
real truth is a real acknowledgement of beyond the fog of delusion like what is the sacred geometry behind it what is the feeling what is the way in which you're saying your worth is determined by how you look or how you appear or what's beautiful which is all conditioned and right. which is all relative so like it's all you know it's all nonsense so like but it's hard it's hard to be in a world where everyone tells the truth i think it was you know bertrand russell that had a thought experiment and he said if all of if all of a sudden everybody could read everybody else's minds then everybody would hide in their house in horror that someone could read their thoughts yeah. but over time after several days people would start to interact and they would realize wow everybody's as fucked up as me yeah. everybody has these terrible shitty thoughts these intrusive thoughts these yeah. things these thoughts of violence that are don't even make any sense that i don't even want to do but i thought about punching that person and i thought oh i had this fork and i wanted to stab this person in the eye i didn't really want to but i thought about it yep. like and we're terrible oh, and i thought about having sex with this person i shouldn't have been thinking about having sex with this person what's wrong with me like we have all of these things but yeah. we have all of these all of these things just exist and we yeah. all share them you know it, and then but we're so far away from that you know that it's very difficult because then all of a sudden you're the only one <laughs> telling the truth and every you're surrounded by people <laughs> who are pretending that they don't feel the same way yeah. when they do in their own way when i connect to like some of the research that we did for the book is that the highest correlation to early death um is not being obese it's not being alcoholic it's not smoking a pack of cigarettes a day it's feeling alone and that loneliness is not correlated with the amount of people that are around you. <clears throat> it's correlated to whether or not you feel seen. And it seems to be what allows you to feel seen is, are you vulnerable? Which essentially means, do you tell the truth? And I remember, man, when I was in my early 20s, I had built up this ego around basketball and around being good with women. And that's basically the entirety of my life. <clears throat> And I had a bunch of things that I had shame about. And I could feel every day I was afraid. And I didn't know why I was afraid. It was because I was afraid of being caught in one of my lies. And the amount of mental energy that is consumed by trying to manage your lies, about trying to be strategic with how you manipulate the people around you and whatever the thing is, <clears throat> I've now tasted what it feels like to genuinely in my psyche feel that I'm in truth with every human that I know. And the fucking, the fucking like heavenly freedom of like, there are people who are upset with me. There are people who will not talk to me anymore. But I am not worried about being seen. I don't feel like I'm hiding something. When I go to bed at night, I'm not ruminating about the lies I have to keep up with or the people that I have to manage. And the fucking freedom that you personally get from doing it, that's good enough. But then there's the witnessing and the people around you who you know are hiding their truth. Every time you tell the truth, you can see that there's a part of them that's like, is it safe for me to finally put down? <laughs> yeah all of this shit that i am crushing myself under and man like w one of the best experiences about being a human is it's like 2 a.m and you're just talking with one of your friends and they finally say something that you've already known but you can see that it's the first time they've ever said it 
And it's like, you were saying that moment seeing the stars is worth the entire night of ayahuasca. Man, seeing someone you love finally tell the truth is worth all the bullshit that you've ever gone through with them in <laughs> yeah. that single moment. Yeah. You know, I, there is a, I talked to Raghu Marcus recently on his podcast, the mind rolling podcast, and he was good friends with Ramdas and Ramdas would get with Raghu and a couple friends and they would have these intimate conversations where they all just volunteered the truth. Yeah. And he was like, you know, he asked me, he's like, what do you think was the truth that everybody was hiding? I was like, sex, man sex for sure and he's like yep nailed it <laughs> you know he's like all of them you know talking about all their lusts wow all of their all their fantasies and all the you know dark and light thoughts that they've had about their sexuality and uh wow. and that's there's the places where there's the most shame and in yeah. our western society there's been the most shame placed on sexuality is where there's probably the most mistruth you know the most think, opportunity for healing yeah, and I think, you know, I think I talk about this coming up, but you know, one of the one of the beautiful things about being in the open relationship, which I loved, is that even though it was painful as hell, there was a lot of honesty about our lust and our desire to be with other people. And you know, as many as much as there was problems, as much as I could never fully handle it, damn it felt good to be in truth about that and not pretending like no no yeah like fucking monogamy i'm i'm so in so fucking down i love this it's my favorite you know like yeah. which is the default yeah. for everybody everybody just pretending like yeah yeah no this is great for me it's great for you yeah this we person, haven't had sex for three months but whatever you know, yeah like, this person i want to build my life with for the rest of my life i'm just going to fundamentally lie to them yeah they call it monogamy <laughs> and that's the thing and it's so really deeply understanding and what i always say is like it's not necessary to act on exactly. anything but it is necessary to be in truth yep it is absolutely necessary and you got to bridge that as bumpy as it is you got to bridge that gap and and just have your teammate have your ally be like yeah like i get it you know you got that lust in you you got that. <laughs> and that's that was a big part of my night three is just reckoning that that force that is lust and why in the sacred text it's always one of those things it's the hardest to overcome and i think you mentioned a story about that as well at dinner and we'll get to that when we get to it but it's just a it's just a force but having an ally there you know like so for me having vailana where we're really open about it and we can express it we've learned how difficult it is to act on it and i know firsthand <laughs> so i'm not desiring to go back and actually right. act on it but i must i must have her there with me in in acknowledgement and in, right. in realization in the light of the truth of what i'm feeling otherwise we're going to be separate yep. we're going to be each having our own experience and that's not sacred union absolutely if like one of the things that i try to share with people about this whole like truth sharing shit is it's not like you make a list you go to your part and you're like okay here's all the things that i've ever not told you it's when you're in the moment, in the part of the conversation that you're in, just like if a, a song's playing, you can intuitively feel that there's a thing that wants to leap out of your body. There's a truth that wants to come out that you can now feel, oh, I can't hear what they're saying anymore because I'm trying to fucking mm. not That's the thing that you share today in this moment. And then this comes back to faith. Like, have faith. Like, one of my favorite faith claims is, if I speak the truth, to the best of my ability 
whatever happens as a result of that is the best possible thing that can happen. Amen. And then buckle the fuck up. Yeah, and just be willing to deal with the temporary nuisance of having to deal and hold space for whatever right. emotions this might bring up and just have to you have to bite the bullet otherwise you just suffer a slow death and the rot builds and then you end up you know corpsing it out in some <laughs> ayahuasca mat somewhere which is fine you know <laughs> i've been there i'm all right here i am still laughing still smiling so if you're there all good you know like uh, alberto said we can fix anything but dead <laughs> you know that's the good news. <laughs> you become invincible when you truly know who you are and love as love. Everything else is just temporary delusion. Your truth creates your boundary. Mm. That was important for me to realize. Like you think about these ideas of setting your boundaries and blah, blah, blah. Just, just tell the truth. It's so simple. <laughs> Just like tell, it'll create it naturally. Yeah. If like someone is offending you or not seeing you or whatever, and you're like, I don't feel very seen right now. And maybe that's on me and I can look at that, but maybe it's also, you know, something to take a look at. And you continually say that like, mm, yep, once again, not really feeling seen. Oh, if you just continue to express it with and just hold the line, you know, eventually someone will be like, fuck it, I'm out. I can't, you know, I can't deal with it. Okay. You know, like that's, that makes the most sense. But, you don't need to like, okay, we got to create a boundary and the boundary is that every, maybe, but if you just always tell the truth, right. the boundaries will form naturally. Right. You know, you'll be expressing what you're saying and they'll be responding to it. The, the seeking to tell the truth is you basically saying yes to beginning a relationship with what's happening in your body. Like most people in the West are so disconnected from their body and your body through you speaking the truth, will show you where the boundaries of your territory are and that those boundaries can always move. Like a huge lesson that I've learned, you know, from you and from other people around us is before I got here, it was like, oh, if I feel this right now, it, then this is the thing forever for always. Yeah. And uh, for sure, that was my boy fearing the uncomfortableness of, oh, life is eternal and undulating and boundaries will reform. Nah, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. making my wall today, and if yeah. it crumbles, let the barbarians <laughs> in. I'm not. I'm not going to adapt. But like, the beautiful thing about relationships is one: if you run the faith experiment, that you're actually calling in exactly the type of person that you need to to reveal to yourself, like a new part of you, and then you just bring your truth to it. They will show you, like, oh. This boundary that I thought I had my entire life is actually different now. Or, wow, I finally have the power to claim a boundary that I've never claimed in my entire fucking life because I've been told by everyone that I just need to be a good little girl and not say anything, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And finding more of yourself through the act of telling the truth with other people, and they're actually like, you know, if you believe in soul contracts or whatever, that they came with all their shit help bring out a little bit more of you and you'll find it through telling the truth yep amen judgment i'll say it again the ego's cheap wine a way to cling to a blanket of self-righteousness hoping that it will provide you warmth but it won't for long the chill of your lonely mountaintop will require more and more righteousness as a blanket but you will never get warm so you will need to continue to climb to even greater judgment
the endless challenge. You're stepping on people, you're judging more, and you're trying to warm yourself in the righteousness of who you are is better than everybody else. But that doesn't actually keep you warm. So you're like, well, if I keep stepping on people, I'll have more righteousness. And it's an endless challenge. If you win the judgment game, your reward is to be alone. Totally. There you are, all by yourself. King of the world, congratulations. Absolutely alone. Not the way, not the way. It's a path to, it's a path to hell. Not leading directly away from the kingdom. Sacred union is not a title to be won. It is a practice. It is choosing the relationship first, knowing that it is the relationship that nourishes the individuals. It is finding the harmony of your songs. All relationships are based on your own perspective. The spectacles of perspective tint the color of your relationship, even your relationship with yourself. So there's a couple things in that where I was just, <laughs> and, uh, and we'll, we'll try to go through them here. So um, first of all, like, again, understanding that in the infinite game, like Vi, Vi and I have claimed we're in sacred union. All right, that doesn't mean shit. It's a practice. You know, it's a, it's the thing that we're aspiring towards, right. not the title that we have because we declared it and we wrote it down somewhere and talked about it on podcasts. Like that doesn't work like that. It's Michael Scott on the office saying, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's very much it. So, and what I realized it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's choosing the relationship first, knowing that if the relationship is strong, it's the fountainhead that nourishes both individuals and then I, I really understood that it was the harmony of the song. So one of the challenges for Vailana and I in the ceremonies was she was she swims in ayahuasca like a fish in water. <laughs> you know, not like she doesn't have a few challenging things come up, but ultimately she just fucking loves it. And she popped out of that maloka, you know, night one, night two, you know, night three, and she was just on fire. She's like, oh my God, blah, like just blasting this positive energy of like how amazing your thing was and maybe an hour later i got to be like yeah i had a pretty hard night <laughs> you know what i mean and and that's and like ultimately that was that was tough and i think ayahuasca was bringing up yep. and this is no slight to her you know it's just like she was so enthusiastic about it she wanted to like share that but it was the song that she was singing was so like happy skippy lucky that it actually drew me more into my own retraction because there was no harmony right. in that you know and what i really realized is like in any relationship there's the words or whatever but really more importantly it's the song it's the energetic song amen and so if someone's playing one song and someone's playing another song it can be completely disharmonious like if you're hearing two different types of music sometimes they'll seem together you know and it'll be like a mashup but sometimes it's just like, whoa, this is just discord. Yeah. And we were in you know, discord for a lot of the first, because I'm going through this deep healing and she's like the flowering of her divine goddess self in the, in the lap of Mother Ayahuasca, right? And ultimately what I realized is the, the thing that a lot of people will do is they'll try to sing the same song as the other person. Well, uh -huh. that's not good because it redoubles. Like if I'm singing, someone's singing a pity song, 
this is my pity song. Life fucking sucks and I'm terrible. And someone's like, I'll sing your pity song. Your life fucking sucks and life is terrible. And you're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're in a chorus and your song is even stronger. That doesn't help. Especially if it's not your true song. Right. Which never, if it's your pity song, it never is. It's just an indulgence of something that you're singing temporarily. However, if someone like you're singing your pity song and they're like, and I'm singing the fucking happiest song that ever was, like, then you're going to be like, oh, wow. Not only does that, did that make me feel kind of ashamed, like, fuck, I really got to heal a lot. You know, she's flying and I can't meet her in that. And I wish I could sing that song. I just, I can't. I don't have the notes. Like, I don't have the, the life force to meet her in that. So I was just getting more kind of ashamed. But there's always a bridge song. Mm. There's a bridge song, which is still like happy, but it's a little slower tempo. And it's a song that I can say like, yeah, I can, I can move my song a little closer to that song and, and we can meet in the middle song and sing that song together, a song of pain, a ballad of pain and a ballad of growth and a ballad of joy. And, and there's a, a way that, that we could bridge always in the songs that we're singing that would bring harmony to our relationship, which would ultimately nourish both of us because yeah. it, would, it would allow that resonance to come in. And, you know, there's other times, you know, it's not that it's only been one way. I've certainly been blaring my own song, not paying attention to her song. And there's an interesting moment. Like sometimes if you have a song and, you know, someone's singing a really weak song and your song is really strong and you just have that instinct, like you keep singing it, you're going to see the corner of their lips turn up in a smile and their song's going to break and they're going to be like, fuck it. We're singing a fucking jig, you know, like I'm going to dance with you. And you can have that kind of smile like, come on let's keep i'm gonna keep singing it. i'm gonna keep singing it. i'm gonna keep singing it and they're like no 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 okay 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 and then there's like a beauty but that's like a good dj knowing like yeah yeah we're gonna keep singing this and it's gonna but it, you have to be listening you have to be really listening to yeah. know when that's gonna work and so again it's not singing the same as the other person but it's just finding those the bridge tunes to make the other person feel welcome and feel and that's, I think, a big part of like bringing relationship to fruition. I know so many relationships that people aren't really seeing each other and aren't really right. in accord, and they're just singing different songs. Someone's really like always light and joyful and bouncy, and the other person's really heavy and somber, and they never seem to be in the same song. Yeah. But if they could both stretch a little bit to the middle ground, you know, and both just reach right. comfortably, it doesn't have to be the same in the middle, but something that's in harmony, I think it would be really like positive and accretive and and as we kind of brought that into awareness the rest of the journey was so much sweeter and we got closer and closer and closer rather than drifting apart because it felt like okay she's singing right. this song i'm singing this song it was really really like an important metaphor to understand there for a relationship what i love of i love the uh song idea and that there being a bridge song and one of the things that comes up for me is like when you track the development of a musician, there's the first stage where they don't even know how to make a coherent song. But then once they start to get good, but they don't really believe that they're good, they have to show out. And they have to fucking do super complex, intricate, crazy, big (laughs) things. But the OGs, like the old heads, who know how to play the song, what do they all do? They, They do jazz. And what like the fundamental part of jazz is I'm going to listen. And only after I've listened do I start to play the song that's true to me, that complements what's already in the space. And it it feels like the fucking, the creme de la creme 
of relationship is listen to what's already in the space and then bring the fucking jazz to it. That's it, man. That's it. Fundamentally, I mean, it It seems simple, but like that metaphor, fuck, that was like, that was like landing on a shore of like, this is solid. Like, this is really, in a way to take it without blame. Right. Because then you're not lost in the story right. of the words and trying to figure out what, it's just the song. It's just not really listening to the music that's in the space and then playing something, playing your instrument mm -hmm. that makes it. It doesn't mean that you can't steer the jazz sure. towards well, another area you got it you got to first listen and find the groove and then yeah. move the groove right into that other place and then they'll that's move a great with point you. it's like the way to move is you first have to get harmony with what's there yeah and then from that place you can yeah and whether you're a friend or whether you're a coach or whether you're a counselor or whatever yeah. like that skill of being like get right in there like get right in there in harmony and then you know take it to where it can Absolutely. go yeah. you know and know that and then you're then you're really creating music together and both of you are going to come out of that experience refreshed and closer right. together so many people don't know that they're starving to simply be listened to like like we're also afraid to be seen and you can see it like mirrored in people not making eye contact but it's also like <clears throat> we're afraid to feel other people and so they're talking and we're just waiting and we're like oh i've got so much shit that i don't want to feel that i'm just going to wait for them to stop talking i'm really not going to connect anything that they're going to say and then i'm going to regurgitate my idea of what i think is the right response it's just it's like those really bad djs that already have the like all set list out they already know all 15 songs that they're about to play they're not listening to the fucking crowd they have no ability to do any impromptu mm -hmm. new songs and just the healing that can come from listening to someone you love just listening jazz and then knowing when that point is because even if someone's you know got a real sad song going if you're really listening you'll know when that point to laugh is you know, yeah. in that moment where like there's a there's yeah. a bit of laughter that's right under the surface. Yeah. And then you get that and then all of a sudden there's a whole new music sheet, you know, and you can start playing a different uh, like yes. a different track, you know. Yes. And that's uh yeah, that's that's real real mastery of interpersonal communication. And then, you know, as this kind of second night, another purge, another you know another night of the fever kind of mounting and then you know me cleaning a lot um i started to get in touch more with a kind of like understanding of who i was and a and a feeling like all right i feel like we're gonna make it out of this and uh and so that was a cool feeling it was still uh you know i was still deep in it but nonetheless it was like i had a lot more confidence and a lot more faith that that the uh, the healing was working and then that set up for um for rest day and then night three and four but once again as we should have expected we're gonna have to part two this bitch <laughs> so yeah man any uh any closing remarks before we wrap this up and uh and come back again fresh to talk about the second half i've enjoyed jazzing with you and that's it 
Likewise, brother. Likewise. And there was, I told you this already, like there was many times in this, especially after night three, where I got, I was like, man, I got, I'm, I'm going to call Godsy tonight. And I know Godsy goes to sleep early because he's very disciplined, but I'm sure that Wyatt's awake. And if Wyatt's awake, Wyatt can wake him up and then I'll call him and yeah. I'll talk to him into the deep into the night and it'll be cool. You know, we're homies like that and he'll be there for me. And, and then by like, after like an hour, I was like, I think I'm okay. I'll be right. I'll, talk to, I'll talk to him when I get back. But it's just really, it's such a pleasure to be able to share life with you, man. So Likewise, brother. And I would have answered. Yeah, I know you would. I know. Love you guys. Look forward to sharing more of everything. And uh, love you too, Ryan. Love, love. Love, love. Thanks for tuning into the show, everyone. Next week will be part two, where we cover nights three and four of the ayahuasca journey. Night three being one of the most powerful nights I've ever had on any medicine in my life. So make sure to check it out. And once again, thanks to our sponsors, onit.com, thecoldplunge.com, and the Fit for Service Academy app. See you next week.